Today's scripture reading is Acts chapter 24, verses 22 through Acts 25, um, chapter tw- um, verse 12. Uh, again, that's Acts chapter 24, verses 22 through Acts 25, verse 12. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysus the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning to an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there's anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. And he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days. He went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me. But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If, th- if then I am a wrongdoer, and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. To Caesar you shall go. We have a text of uh, political intrigue this morning that we will be uh, looking at. But before we get there, just want to say thanks to the musicians, to Jonathan and Chris and Julius. Yeah, you can clap. Here we go. To Kinesi as well, and to Julius. I think I got everybody. Um, Thank you for your ministry this morning. Thank you to Kevin and Katina for praying. And um, we want to come to be together as a family, lifting our voices, but also there's a lot of hard things happening in the world. So thankful for praying for those who have been affected by the hurricane and uh, for what's continuing to happen in Afghanistan and what continues to happen uh, in our city as well. Uh, welcome to Holy Trinity on a Labor Day weekend, which means that uh, many are traveling this week, but 
way to be here on this Sunday, and welcome to those of you who are new uh, on this Labor Day weekend. The last thing I'll say is this, is yet we would love to see those of you who are newish head to Wisconsin for a weekend, just 24 hours, leave around 3 o'clock so you beat Chicago traffic, but you'll come home knowing a few people and having a few new friends. There's so much uh, motion to the city of Chicago and so much transience that it's a great time to just connect with some people. And uh, so sign up this week if you would like to. We can only take 35 people. First come, first serve. About a decade ago, on June 27, 2011, Rod Blagojevich got in some big trouble. Uh, he was found guilty. He was the former one of the former governors of. Illinois, and he was found guilty of 17 charges, and those charges included attempted extortion, a conspiracy to solicit bribes, wire fraud. So he was, on December 7th, uh, sentenced to 11 years in prison. And at issue for Blagojevich, well, you may know, is he was trying to sell President Obama's Senate seat for up to like a million dollars or for some political favors. And I'm not like a lawyer. I don't, I, I don't know these things, but I'm pretty sure that's not okay, that that's not allowed. So, um, And here, the FBI um, did some legal wiretapping and recordings. I'm just two quotes. One is he said this, the FBI actually has this on one of their websites. Uh, a recording of Blagojevich saying, I told my nephew Alex, he just turned 26 today. I said, Alex, you know, I call him for his birthday. And I said, it's just too bad you're not four years older because I could have given you a U.S. Senate seat for your birthday. Like, who has that kind of power, right? What did you get for your birthday this year? A U.S. Senate seat. A little bit later, he said, I've got this thing. And I'm editing this a little bit, okay? Because there are children here. And it's expletive golden. I'm not just giving it up for expletive nothing. It's an expletive valuable thing. You don't just give it away for nothing. If I don't get what I want, I just may take the Senate seat myself. Bribery. Corruption. And the desire not to miss an opportunity. It's like, here's something golden. You don't just give it up. You sell it. He's not the only one. 2002, the governor before him. I could go on for a long time about this. Four out of uh, seven Illinois governors have gone to jail. And uh, they have gone to jail. That's more than half, right? Half of the... And, and uh, there's the joke in, the U, in, in, the, in Illinois, in Chicago, that you have your term in office and then your term in jail. And that's just like how it works. But Governor Ryan was convicted in December 2003 on charges that he was steering some of the, uh, some of the state contracts to his friends, that he was using campaign money for himself for personal interest. And then also, uh, you can read up on it later, but there is a terrible um, license for bribe scandal in Illinois that actually cost a number, a whole family their lives, the Willis family. And what was happening is truckers were getting jobs by giving bribes and not by take, they, sorry, not jobs, by getting, they were getting licenses just by giving bribes. And so it was terrible. And, and Governor uh, Governor Ryan tried to uh, cover it up. So why is, it, why is this happening, right? One of the ways to think of why this is happening or happens in, in a political culture is that 
at a certain point, you take your eyes off of the opportunity, say, of integrity and faithfulness and serving the people, and you set your eyes on some of the other opportunities. And in a context of power, there are lots of opportunities to just twist the truth a little bit. Just step over the line a little bit, especially in Chicago. And my sermon today is, I'm just going to call it a tale of two governors, okay? Not Governor Ryan and, and not Governor Blagojevich, but Governor Felix and Governor Festus. Governor Felix is chapter 24. Governor Festus is, is in chapter 25. And what I want to do is just focus on this idea of a missed opportunity, because Festus is having what we call the good news preached to him, and he misses the opportunity. So I want to just look at three things. One is three questions. One is, why do we miss opportunities? Or why did Festus miss the opportunity of the gospel that was before him? And then secondly, what is the, the opportunity that's actually being missed here? Because Paul presents some really compelling opportunities to Felix. And then the third question I want to look at is, how did Paul seize this opportunity to, in, in a sense, speak to power? Because what the book of Acts about, is about a little bit is how this faith of following this unknown rabbi who was hung on a cross became a global faith that skirts through Islands and cities and countrysides and courtrooms. And today is one of those courtroom scenes where we see power eclipsing an opportunity. So I'm going to ask you to, to bow with me in prayer and ask for God's blessing. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we admit that we often do take our eyes off of the, the gold of your heavenly throne room, the stunning brilliance of the creation around us, we, we get distracted. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us not to miss any opportunities this year, Lord, of who you are and what you've done for us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So first question is really, why do we miss opportunities? And uh, why does Felix miss the opportunities that are in front of him in chapter 24, verses 22 to 27? If you do have a Bible, keep it open because I'll be pointing out some things from the text. Um, there's really three things that Felix kind of distracts him and causes him to, to miss his opportunities. They're, they're fear, a bribe, and then trying to, to win the favor of other people. Fear, he wants a bribe. Again, it sounds like the Chicago Tribune is what it sounds like. And then he wants to do a favor for some people. A little bit of background, uh, Felix, uh, we talked a little bit about him last week, but he, we already know that this guy is corrupt. You don't know it from the text, but actually from history, um, one of the, the historians that was a little bit after this time period named Josephus uh, actually has a recording of how Felix got his wife, Drusilla. Beautiful name, Drusilla. You can name your next child that if you would like to. And uh, Josephus says this, that she, didn't, she did, that is Drusilla, exceed all the other women in beauty. And he sent to her, that is Felix, who's in the text, this governor, sent to his future wife, a person whose name was Simon, a Jewish friend of his, by birth a Cypriot, who pretended to be a magician, 
And Simon endeavored to persuade her, that is Drusilla, to forsake her present husband and marry Felix and promise that if she would not refuse Felix, she would make, he, he would make her a very happy woman. She's probably only 23 years old in this text. So she was married at a young age, and then she's kind of stolen away, which is probably one of the reasons why Paul speaks on the topic of self-control in the passage. Verse 22 says, but Felix, having a rather accurate way of the uh, knowledge of the way, put them off saying, when Lysias, the tribune, comes, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that, she, that Paul should be kept in custody, but have some liberty. In other words, what Paul, what Paul experiences and what Felix gives him is kind of a loose custody where his friends could actually come and visit him. Then we meet Drusilla, verse 24. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who is Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Jesus Christ. And then we get uh, this, the, the first statement of, of kind of what causes him to miss the opportunity. He's speaking of faith in Jesus Christ. He's speaking of righteousness, self-control, and coming judgment. And then here's the first thing, verse 25, fear. Now, we don't know what fear uh, Paul, sorry, we don't know what fear Felix had. But the word there is like a phobia, uh, word. It's where we get our word phobia from. And it's basi- it basically says that he became like absorbed with some kind of phobic fear. And it, we don't know exactly what it is, but it's possible what's happening is, and this is what happens often in the scriptures is, this, this is a, a courtroom scene where it looks like Paul is on trial, but Paul turns the tables <laughs> and he puts Felix on trial. And so when he talks about a coming judgment, yes, Felix is going to judge him, but he turns the tables and says, no, 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 you will be judged as well. And throughout the scriptures, what we tend to do, and this is what modern enlightenment has done kind of, modern enlightenment has kind of gotten up on a, on a tall tower and said, oh, we look down at the Bible and we judge it. But what happens is a, sometimes you read the Bible and you realize, wait a second, this thing is looking down on me and hanging me in the balance. There's a place in Daniel, maybe you remember when some fingers right on the wall, meeny, meeny, tekel parson, which means you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. I think that's what's happening to Felix here. It's like God is writing on his heart. And he feels, he's suddenly overcome with fear. But his fear actually makes him miss the opportunity. Verse 26 is very clear. This comes to the second reason that he misses an opportunity in the text. One is fear. Two is, I'll start at verse 25. As he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. That's the word kind of consumed with fear. And and, uh, said, go away for the present. Here you see him um, beginning to miss the opportunity. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Verse 26 is super straightforward. At the same time, he had hoped that money would be given him by Paul. I don't know how Luke knows that, but he sent, I guess he sent the FBI in. I don't know that. But somehow they know that he wanted some money. That's the second reason that he um, misses his opportunity is because instead of listening to a life-giving message, he's thinking about how can I turn a profit here? Welcome to Chicago. Welcome to Illinois. Welcome to the modern world. Felix for governor. He would be elected, I think, in the U.S. Paul 
he saw Paul as a golden opportunity, not for all the riches of the world, but for a few drachma, a few coins is what he was wanting. I want to make a very simple point, which is that we miss opportunities here because we see an opportunity over there. That is, but we, it's like, it's like uh, C.S. Lewis talks of, of if we really knew the treasures that were in heaven for us, we wouldn't splash around in a mud puddle thinking we can have our desires satisfied. We miss the opportunity to know the living God because of fear. We can miss the opportunity to know the living God because of opportunism, of maybe wanting that promotion, that gain, that status, so we take our eyes off of who God really is. We can miss the opportunity to know the living God also because of fear of man, where man gets larger than who God really is, which you could call favor. That's the next missed opportunity. Uh, and and what, what it says is that he was looking to do a favor to the Jews. That's, that's why he misses the opportunity. We know he misses the opportunity in the text. Um, and I just want to ask you to be thinking about the opportunities of your life, the opportunity to know God in a deep, compelling, saving way, and to pledge your heart back to him. Look at the, the next thing I want to show you is not uh, why we miss opportunities, but really what is the opportunity that is missed? There's just two things that Paul uh, mentions in the text when he's speaking to Felix, which are what Felix is missing. And I'll show you the first one in verse 24, which is simply who Christ is. <laughs> the, the way Paul puts it in other uh, epistles is he speaks of, he talks of the unsearchable riches of Christ, which is like a way of saying that Christ is not merely just a person, but an infinite person, and that you, if you are in heaven with him, you will spend eternity seeking and knowing more and more about his excellencies. And that's what Paul is standing before Felix and speaking about. Verse 24, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Jesus. The dictionary word there for faith is is. It's really trust. It's like why, here's how the dictionary puts it. That, this is a, the, in terms of the Greek, that which evokes trust and faith, but also the state of being someone in whom confidence can be placed. I love that description. The idea that there's someone in whom confidence can be placed, fidelity or commitment. And if, what Paul is arguing is that, in the chaos of corruption and bribe and bribery and uh, extortion, conspiracy to kill, there's someone who's pure and holy and righteous who deserves your trust and your confidence. And that's what Paul is explaining to him. This one who was born of a virgin, this one who spoke of the way of the kingdom, this one who, as we have sung today, is the faithful one. When we can't keep our hold through life's fearful path, when our love is often cold, he's speaking of the one who can hold you fast. 
who hold on to you. That's a person. The second thing that, that Felix is missing is you could call it a process of salvation. And the process of salvation is sometimes called this like divine golden chain. The Puritans used to love to think through what is the golden chain of salvation. But there's a really brief golden chain in chapter uh, 24, verse 25. Paul is speaking there. Actually, he's not just speaking. He's dialoguing and reasoning. It, the word there where it says he's reasoning is a word for dialogue. And it would be like, it's not just Paul like on a monologue, it's like he says something and they ask him a question and they go. But here's the three things that he's speaking of. Righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. And that is, in a simple way, the process of salvation. That when you meet the person who has extraordinary riches, far more gold than Rod Blagojevich could get his fingers around, you receive what is called gift righteousness or alien righteousness if you put faith in Christ. I'll explain that in a second. That leads you to a different life, not a life of I'm trying as hard as I can to follow and do what I must do. Yes, that, but, but more, I have the spirit who lives in me now who pricks my conscience and gives me the desires to do what Christ has called me to do. That doesn't mean you're never going to fall or sin. You will, but it means that he's got his grip on you. He's going to hold you fast. And then the coming judgment. This is where I think Felix got scared. He suddenly realized that the judge would be judged. That is, the governor is going to meet a new governor, the governor of all. And that all of us will meet he who governs all things. That's a little kind of three-step sequence of the, the Christian life. Righteousness, which is given to us as a gift. A life that is honoring to God in self-control and then meeting Christ in the final judgment or in the coming judgment. But let me just take this idea of righteousness for a moment. It's, the, it's one of the best words in the New Testament we all get to learn it today. Dikaiosune. We're going to say Dikaiosune on the count of three with Stephen being the loudest because he's learning Greek. So Dikaiosune, one, two, three. Stephen, I couldn't even hear you, man. Your mask was like covering you up. It means righteousness, but it can also be tra translated justice. So it takes the Old Testament concept of God's holiness, his righteousness, and his justice. And it says that we don't have anything inside of us to meet the holiness and the justice and the righteousness of God. In one sense, what Paul is doing is summarizing the whole book of Romans here, which starts with God's righteousness, speaks of Paul's struggle with self-control. Chapter 6 and 7, chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and moves towards judgment. And where he says basically chapter 15 and 16, why are you judging one another? God is going to judge all of us. Maybe in 2016, about five years ago, you saw the movie with Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner and Forrest Whitaker called The Arrival which is about this arrival of these aliens that come in and Amy Adams like stumbles upon this language and, and then is able to like start to communicate with the people who these 
tetrapods or heptapods who speak in this kind of cryptic language, but it's this, it's the idea of something coming from the outside. When I was a kid growing up, it was E.T., this little tiny finger, you know, phone. Sorry. Um, but there's so many movies about aliens coming. The whole idea is that we can't fix ourselves or heal ourselves and we need something from the outside. And the concept of gift or alien righteousness is you can't fix the broken world. And I can't fix my broken desires. And I can't fix my broken heart. But there's a healer of my heart and a healer of my desires and a healer of my righteousness that is simply given. In the, uh, in the King James Version, they used to say, he imputeth righteousness. That he, he gives us this righteousness which we do not deserve. So here's the opportunity that Luke's want, Luke wants to make sure. Well, like, why is this even in the Bible, this section? Why is this here? Part of what Luke is saying is, look, it's possible to miss an opportunity. And the opportunity is a person with unsearchable riches. And the, and the opportunity is a golden chain of God looking upon you and saying, you're my daughter. You're my son. And I'm going to walk you, adopt you, and walk you through this life, and I'll meet you on the last day. And then all things will be resurrected together. That's the opportunity of the text that Paul is making clear for us and for Felix. And Felix misses the opportunity. We don't know if later he accepts it. Maybe we'll see him in heaven. So that's Festus and Felix. I'm just going to show you one thing in the Felix passage in, in verses 1 and following there. Um, so we move, we have this little transition in verse 27. It says, when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. So here's Paul in prison in Caesarea and Festus decides to go to Jerusalem. When he's in Jerusalem, he meets a bunch of the people who have been plotting against Paul. These people say, hey, let's, I, we've got an idea. Since Paul's in, in prison in Caesarea, if you call him to Jerusalem for some reason, hey, make up a reason. We'll send a mob and slit his throat. We'll come and kill him. <laughs> so talk about like backroom dealing. That's the deal that these guys want to do. So uh, Festus says, well, hey, let me go back down to Caesarea. He goes down to Caesarea and he gives these charges against Paul. And Paul says, hey, can I have an opportunity to speak? And then Paul speaks and he basically says that he has no fear of death. So if you think about the other thing that Paul is offering as an opportunity here, you put it this way, three words, to escape death. One of the most amazing things that Jesus has done that nobody else can do, and we can't do without him, is to escape death. Like who, who could look death in the face and outwit it? <laughs> How does that even work? Man, Satan got so tricked, so like misled. He thought if Jesus died, that God would die. But what he didn't realize is that Jesus had one more move in his back pocket that when he hung on the cross, 
he was coming back, that he would rise again from the dead, that he would escape death. And so then Paul could escape death. In other words, the reason why Paul can stand before the governor and be so bold and courageous is because like he had already finished his business with God. He didn't even want to try to escape death. One of our greatest fears is death. And one of the reasons why we fear death so much is because it's unknown. Like, what happens? Are we just put into the ground for worms to eat? And that's it? Or do we meet a blazing, holy, just, merciful, loving God? And Paul's like, look, if I'm guilty, that's fine. If you want to kill me, that's fine. Kill me. (laughs) Because I'm not trying to escape death. He'd already escaped death by putting his faith in Christ who had escaped death. Trusting in Jesus, the resurrected one, is the means of escaping death. On the way here, I uh, actually drove by two escape rooms. Anybody ever been to an escape room? And you're like, now you're like, oh, that was a waste of money. I'm just kidding. You've been to an escape room. It's fun. Okay. My kids, I appreciate the gift. They took us to an escape room, and Amy told me this week that the reason why uh, we didn't escape was because I didn't provide enough leadership in the room when we were... Thanks, Amy. I'm supposed to ask her before I say anything. I forgot to ask her, so don't say anything. And maybe pause the video if you don't mind right there. But we didn't escape... And Paul is not just escaping these guards. He's not just escaping the judgment of the governor. He's escaping the judgment of God. He's escaping the, 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 the bondages of death and sin itself. So I'm going to close. Festus says, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. And so we'll go on with the journey next week. But what can we learn? I just want to ask you, are you missing an opportunity right now? And why? If you're missing opportunities, why are you missing it? And just look at your heart for a moment or this week. Are there fears that you have that are causing you to miss an opportunity with the Almighty God? Or are there opportunities, something that glitters a little bit over here that is robbing your total surrender to who God is? Or is there favor of man that you're like, that's bigger than how I view God sometimes that's causing you to miss an opportunity? He's waiting. He's waiting. I'm going to close with a story. One of Billy Graham's contemporaries is a guy named Chuck Templeton. And uh, the two of them did a lot of ministry in, in the 50s together, maybe late 40s or into the 50s. In 1957, Chuck Templeton, who used to speak to crowds of 30,000 people, decided he no longer believed in God and no longer believed the truthfulness of the Bible, and he he recanted of his faith. In fact, he wrote a book called Farewell to God, Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. But later in his life, there's a conversation that he had at one point that's recorded by a guy named Lee Strobel, who was a journalist who explored the truthfulness of Christianity. And Templeton is sharing his thoughts about, actually about who Jesus is. And as he's sharing his thoughts, he starts to get a little choked up and he starts to stumble. And he said, he's, 
He's the most. And then the people listening are like hanging on what he's about to say. And he said, in my view, this is an atheist and agnostic, says of Jesus, he's the most important person in my view who has ever existed. Amen. And that's the person that you can meet and the one who will take you all the way home. Templeton goes on and then he says something that Strobel didn't expect to hear from him. He says, Strobel says, and, sorry, Templeton says, and if I may put it this way, I miss him. When his faith died, his relationship with Jesus died. And he said, I miss him. And you might not be at that spot, but you might miss him a little bit. And let me tell you, he misses you. And he's there. And he's waiting. So don't miss the opportunity. He will hold you fast. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, help us to see how deep your love is for us. How vast, beyond all measure. Help us to uh, let you take the treasures out of our hands that we hold on to. The fears that we, our hearts are gripped by. The favor of man that we are in bondage to and release it to you so that you may make us your treasure. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.